Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to read, uh, starting at chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And will you stand as we read this? And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. And um, I was going to ask the Lord's blessing on this, uh, the next half hour. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are able to gather together to listen to your word, God. And I pray that just as um, these words come out out of my mouth, that you would uh, somehow communicates to the people in this room that you would bring life to those who are dying, that you would encourage those who are discouraged and hope to those who uh, feel hopeless, that you would bring belief to those who are cynical, God. We trust in the power of your word, not in what I can think up of on my own, but in the power of your word. And we trust that your Holy Spirit, not might nor power, would work here, but your Holy Spirit would speak, God, and keep us tender, help us accept your word, God, and may you be worshipped through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so imagine uh, while, we're, while we're having our service here, there's a, we hear, as, as I'm talking or as we're singing, we, we start hearing little scratches up above us. And then as we continue through the service, we start hearing like louder noises, guys just making noise, and, it's, there's, and at some point, dust starts falling on our head. And, and uh, eventually, chunks of the ceiling start falling on us. And, and then, to top it off, these dudes, the, they're, they're guys up on the roof, and they're lowering their friend who's lying on a bed. And they're lowering him, lowering him, lowering him onto, like, in, into our space. And this is an absurd picture. It's an absurd picture, and um, the Bible... Uh, this is a story that we just read as Jesus is in Capernaum, as he's speaking to the crowd in the, in the, in the home. The, these people, they hear uh, scratching above them. They hear a commotion. They, they see the roof being dismantled. And they see this guy, this par- paralytic, being lowered down onto the ground. And just, Kimmer is just how like, absurd it is, how ridiculous it is. And I think if you guys have read this story before, this story will stick out to you because the scene is just so crazy. Like, when have we ever seen this? It is so absurd. It's so ridiculous that guys would have the gall to do this. 
And um, th- this is this is one reason. Like as as I was going through this text, I was like, oh, I remember hearing this story in in, uh, in church years ago. And I think the reason why it stuck out to me is I don't remember what the preacher talked about, but I remember this this image of a guy being lowered down into a room. And it's absurd because the Bible contains a lot of absurd stories. Have you guys ever thought about it? Like, as we go through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, to see stories of these messed up people doing crazy things. Um, And I think the craziest character of them all is God himself, right? God himself is the most absurd character of all of history. If you guys look at the definition of absurdity, it's something that defies logic. it It defies reason. And I hope that we keep this in mind that this, this, this book full of characters contains, uh, the story of God Himself. And He does not fit into our little categories of logic or reason. He can't, like this song that we sung, like, uh, He can't be contained. So God cannot be contained in these words. God cannot be contained, uh, within this book. But there is something in this story that shines out. And I hope that as we go through the story that we see who Jesus is, that the characteristic of God, the person of Christ, would shine out. So, so think about this. So these guys, um, they, in the story, four men, they have a sick friend, um, they're, they, and they're like, dude, you've been in your, in your bed for years, and it stinks that you're like this. And we, we, we see, uh, as we read through the book of Mark, as we, as we read through the first chapter, and as we hit the second chapter, Jesus' ministry has been full of miracles. It's been full of Jesus working. He's been going through the, throughout the, throughout the region, just doing miracles. And these, these guys, they hear about Jesus. They say, this guy heals. And our friend, he is in need of healing. So we want to bring him to Jesus. So they find out that Jesus is in Capernaum. They go to the house where Jesus is speaking. And, it's it's full. It's completely full. Standing room only. Even the doors are. You can't even like look into them. Uh, they, they 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 can't get through the door. They can't get through the windows even. So they they think of this hairbrained scheme. Like who would think to to go into the roof of this house and start digging a hole in it? And this shows that these guys were serious. They were serious about bringing the friend to Jesus. They were desperate. Um, but the friends didn't care. Like, they didn't care how bad it looked because it looked really bad. It was really disruptive. But their friend needed healing and they brought Jesus, they brought their friend to Jesus to, to be healed. And when Jesus saw what they were doing, it, the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. And before, um, we, you know, we read in the story that Jesus actually healed the guy. But before we, before we get to that point, I want us to think a little bit about the faith that these men had. Um, what kind of faith did they have? Sometimes we, when we think of faith, um, we think, dude, you gotta have more faith, man. We think of this nebulous, ambiguous sort of type of faith where we sort of muster up. We're like, oh, dude, if I believe hard enough, maybe this will happen. Or, uh, if you guys ever watched, uh, like TBN, you see these, you see, uh, these faith healers and they tell the, they tell the people in these huge coliseums, you gotta have faith that you will be healed. And these people, they go up to these healers and they go, um, I have faith, I have faith, please heal me. So, and some of them, they're healed. Uh, others, they're, they're like, oh, well, you know, like, <laughs> you're still, you're still in a wheelchair. You don't have enough faith. And the, 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 these faith healers, they blame these people. You don't have enough faith. It's your fault that you're not healed. And sometimes we think of faith 
in terms of that. We think of faith in terms of something that we can muster up. But true biblical faith is not something that we can muster up. It's not something that we just go, if we just turn a blind eye to reality and if we just hope for the best, uh, that something will happen. The problem with that type of faith is that it places your faith in maybe your own ability to have faith. This is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is something that looks at at what God has done, and our faith comes from that. So the, the faith that these guys had, these four friends, um, they did not have this type of uh, weird ephemeral faith. And to give us a, an illustration as to um, you know how, how it works, I think I'm going to give a... Uh, an imperfect illustration, in, or an illustration, but an illustration nonetheless. Uh, who remembers, uh, like, who of us are Warriors fans here? Some of you guys, those guys back here. Yeah. Um, so if you remember a few years ago, there was, when the, when the Warriors were, were headed to the championship, well, they didn't go to championships, but they were on their way to the championships. What was the phrase, what was the slogan that, the, that rang out throughout, through the whole Bay Area? We believe, and some of you guys have shirts, uh, they pass out this towel at one of the games. It says, we believe, we believe in the Warriors. And do you guys know like where this came from, that where this slogan came from? It's uh, a guy named Paul Wong. He owns a uh, restaurant in Alameda. He's actually the one that popularized this phrase. And I'm going to read an article from April 27th, 2007, that talks about the origins of this phrase and of this guy, Paul Wong, who made the phrase, we believe, really popular. All right, here we go. The Warriors will be giving out 20,000 yellow t-shirts with the words, we believe, emblazoned across the front. So for game three of the Western Conference first round playoffs tonight at the Oracle Arena in Oakland, there will be a collective declaration of faith in the Warriors. Interesting. Demonstrated by a sea of yellow. And Paul Wong, a 34-year-old Alameda resident, will be honored by the gesture. We believe has been the Warriors' slogan for the last couple months of the season and the playoffs. But it's not the creative idea of the Warriors' marketing department. It's not an advertising ploy by a local newspaper. It is, however, a testament of how diehard Warriors fans are. Wong, owner and chef of the barbecue restaurant Hawaiian Drive-In of Alameda, is a diehard fan responsible for the We Believe campaign. It all started as a movement to get people to believe in the Warriors. Though they were seven games under 500 at the time, Wong sensed that the Warriors had their swagger back after winning at Detroit on March 6. He was able to pinpoint exactly when this happened. He really believed the Warriors had the talent and were just one strong late-season run away from reaching the playoffs. He wanted them to come home to a supportive crowd, so he printed out 150 signs, yellow paper with big black letters that read, We Believe, and passed them out at the Denver game. He was surprised when he was met with ridicule. People told me I was crazy, said Wong, a season ticket holder the last eight years. They told me I was on drugs. So here's this guy, this crazy guy that was being ridiculed for this, We Believe. But where did this come from? Was it just that, was it just that Paul Wong was so fanatical about the Warriors that he just turned a blind eye? He's like, the Warriors are under 500 at this point. I'm just going to give up hope. Or was he one of those fans that said like, oh, we'll never give up hope. Even though no matter how bad they are, we're just going to continue rooting for them. And one day they're, they're going to, they're going to win the championships. Like the Red Sox, right? The, the Red Sox, they had, 
diehard fans, but for 86 years, there's guys just hoping, hoping that something would happen. Um, but a lot of times it was it neglected reality. It was like, no, actually, you, you guys know what? Your team isn't that good. Uh, but the Warriors in 2006, 2007, they had something going for them. And Paul Wong said, I see something. I see that these guys, Monte Ellis and Baron Davis and whoever else was big in those days, these guys are good. They have a fire in them. They can reach the championships. And Paul Wong believed, and he made this phrase popular, is that we believe. And this is a type of faith. And it, this, this illustration would be so much better if, they actually, if the words actually went all the way. But they didn't, so I'm sorry I wasn't able to think of something better. But maybe one day they'll, they'll go all the way. Um, but this is a type of... I think this is a little an illustration of what biblical faith is. Biblical faith, these guys, the faith that these guys had, they saw what Jesus has done. If we look to uh, chapter 1, verse 28, you don't have to turn there, but it says this. This is talking about Jesus as he, after doing a lot of miracles around the region. Verse 21 says this, And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Uh, these so so these guys they heard about Jesus they maybe they even like they heard eyewitness accounts or maybe they were even there on the spot as they saw Jesus healing people as they saw Jesus uh, fixing their bodies and they said okay I've seen it with my own eyes I've seen that Jesus can do this so they had faith and biblical faith is this it's it's faith it's it's a trust that's informed by God's previous acts of loving power, when we see that God is true to his word, when we see that God actually does save, this is when we develop a faith. It's not something that we muster up on our own, but faith, it comes because we've seen something outside of ourselves. Like Paul Wong, he did not turn a blind eye to reality. He, he saw that the warriors could do something. In the same way, when we see that God can do something, we develop faith. So when... So, if you ever hear this phrase, you're not having, you don't have enough faith, or if you ever think to yourself, I don't have enough faith, maybe it is because you haven't looked at what God has done. Maybe it's because you haven't listened to the stories of the people around you. When people say that Jesus can heal them, when Jesus, when, when, the, when people say that Christ has done miracles, uh, do, we, do we listen or are, are we skeptical? Um, when, when we read the Bible, do we look for, for the evidences of God working? These are the things that are going to build up our faith. So we need, I think for us especially, we're constantly barraged by entertainment or media or um, we're wasting our time on the internet. Um, that's a big thing for me is that what, what, what that does it, it sh- is it shrivels up my faith because it keeps me from reading the Bible, because it keeps me from reading good books that talk about God or of, of the testimonies of other people, we, we lose our discipline for reading and listening and thinking well. So I would encourage you guys, if you guys want to know how strong, how good Christ is, turn off your television, turn off the laptop and read. Or sometimes it's maybe just go around the block and walk around for a couple hours and just think. Think of uh, what what... What could happen if we did that? So this is biblical faith. It's, it's, it's not believing in our own faith. It's believing in what Jesus has done. We need to have the faith like these guys that looks to what Jesus has done 
So Jesus, he healed the, he healed the, the man in response to their faith. And think of it also in terms of this, that Jesus responded to these guys' faith because their faith honored Jesus. So Jesus, he honored their faith because their faith was in the right place. So Jesus honored the faith of these men because their faith honored Jesus. It was wrapped up in who Jesus was and what he did. Um, so, did, did Jesus immediately heal the paralytic? I mean, that's what they came for, right? They, no. If you look at the text, what does he do? He says, son, your, your, your sins are forgiven. So this brings us to our next point, the need for forgiveness. These men, they brought their friends to Jesus so that his, so their paralytic would be healed. They, uh, but they didn't get immediately what they were looking for. And this account, it shows us the priority of Jesus' ministry. Was it to heal as he did in chapter one or was it to forgive? And I would say that his, Jesus' priority is to forgive. And as we look at Jesus' forgiveness of this man, we need to understand how shocking and offensive it was. As, as these, the people in the house saw the paralytic being lowered into the house, their immediate thought was that this guy was a sinner because back in the, back in first century Judaism, what they believed was anyone that was sick, anyone that was paralyzed like this guy was a sinner. He deserved what he got. So when they, when they were watching him being lowered down, immediately they thought, sinner, this guy is a sinner and he's paralyzed because he did something to earn it. But so, so when Jesus forgave his sins, it was, it was offensive to these guys, especially if you look later in the story, the scribes, because he says, immediately Jesus says, um, he sees this guy coming to him for healing, and Jesus says, not I'm going to heal you, but I'm going to forgive you. And what is this, what do we see here? Is that Jesus, he healed this guy before he could do anything, before before his friends could do anything, all they had was their faith and all they had was their desperation. And Jesus says, I forgive you. And in in saying that, Jesus was saying, what the people saw was that Jesus was removing the the sin that caused this paralysis. And and they were like, well, he didn't do anything for that. Like, shouldn't he have made some amends? But if we look at the Jesus ministry and if we look through the whole Bible, the gospel is this, that we do not do something to earn God's favor. We do not do something to earn God's forgiveness. All that we have is our desperation. And I think sometimes it's good for us to be in a desperate place like, the, like these guys were in. Like William, Temp- William Temple said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is a sin that makes, it, that makes it necessary. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is a thing, is a sin that makes it ser- necessary so so was was this guy's sin or was this guy's sickness a result of his sin if if we look in the other gospels if we look specifically at john chapter 9 if you guys remember the story there was a guy that was blind and his and jesus disciples said to him jesus like think of if you look at this text immediately they think Jesus, was it this man that sinned or was it his parents that sinned? Immediately they thought, okay, sin is responsible for this guy's blindness. How does Jesus respond? He says, sin, it wasn't this guy's sin or his parents' sin, but this guy was, has, is blind so that God's work, so that God's glory could be seen in him. So I think we need to think of it in, the, in these terms right now. As sometimes when we, when we, 
even though, like, if, if we're Christians, if we're looking at the text, we're like, well, okay, no, it's the, the Bible doesn't, that's not how the Bible talks. It's, you know, but, but the way we think and the way we live sometimes is, oh, well, you know, like, I got this cavity. It must have been because I was mean to my, to my mom or, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I, I'm, I have this headache because I didn't, I didn't do my devotions today. And this sort of stuff is not true, and it reeks of legalism. It reeks of pharisaical attitude because it says that there's something I've done that has set God off. It's, it's ticked God off, and he's punishing me for doing these things. Uh, if you guys remember a few years ago, back nine years ago almost, um, September 11th, there was a guy named Jerry Falwell, a famous Christian, and he said, the terrorist attacks on September 11th happened because America is accepting of gays. Or, uh, just more recently, Pat Robertson, he said that the earthquake in Haiti happened because uh, the Haitians, they made a pact with the devil in the 19th century. Um, or Hurricane Katrina happened because... Uh, like, uh, what's that? What's, um, what's it famous? Oh, New Orleans. Because New Orleans is a sinful place. And God was punishing New Orleans by sending this flood and, and destroying the city. Uh, that's not necessarily how the Bible talks about disaster or sickness. Uh, what, what we need to do is we need to recognize that God, sometimes there are consequences for our actions, and sometimes we have to deal with them. But maybe for this paralytic, we can't say necessarily that it was his sin that caused the, it was, it was, it was the sin that necessarily caused his sickness. It was more the human condition, and it was more the, the way the world is at this point. And uh, if we look at the Bible, it answers this. If we, let's turn to Romans chapter 8 if you have your Bibles. So was it sin that caused this guy's paralysis or was it something else? I would say that we can't say that it was this guy's sin, but we can say that it was sin that this, this paralytic was paralyzed. Romans chapter 8, verse starting at 19, and we'll go to chapter, verse 23. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the, the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This paralysis is a result of our world being broken. Our world is infested. Our world is covered with sin. And our world, and it says even here for us as Christians, we are affected by sin. We live in a world that is broken by sin and Listen to what Paul says in this passage. All of creation, our own bodies are groaning for something. There's something wrong. And I don't need to tell you guys that there's something wrong with this world. I don't need you guys to know that there's something wrong with the way our lives are going. Paralysis or car accidents or unemployment, uh, financial problems, broken relationships. This is what happens when we live in a broken world. And this is how things will be until Jesus sets all things right. So what's happening in our lives is causing us to groan 
for each one of us, it's something different. It's, it could be emotional problems. It could be relational problems, financial problems, maybe spiritual problems. There's something in us that goes, no, this is not how it's supposed to be. And when you read the newspaper, when you see things happening, and when, when, you're, when it makes you angry or when it saddens you or when it breaks your heart, know that this is the groaning that Romans talks about. Our world is groaning for redemption. And this paralytic, he was groaning for redemption. So why do we have pain in this world? Just as the, just as the paralysis brought this paralytic to the point where he was met by Jesus, so the pain in our lives is intended not so that we would necessarily suffer, but our pain, our suffering could be a blessing because it drives us to our knees and it brings us to Jesus, where to the point of desperation, like the like the, these guy, like the, the paralytic and his friends had. This the paralytic is representative of all human beings. Like him, we're in need of physical healing, but beyond that, we're in need of forgiveness. Uh, it's it's not. It wasn't ultimately physical redemption or the healing that this paralytic needed. If you if you think about it, what happened to this paralytic? 50 years down the road. He was most likely dead, right? And this healing that he received was temporal. He, no matter how good his life was after the healing, at some point, his, his, his body filled him and he died. And it's going to be the same for us. We can pray that God would heal our, 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 pro, our sickness or fix our, our issues or our or, or make things right in our relationships. And it's not wrong for us to pray those things. I hope that we do trust God with those things. But at some point, those things are going to fail us. Our bodies will fail. We will die. And at that point, what is it that we need? It is not physical healing. When we stand before Christ, and when we stand before God, we need to be forgiven. And this is what Christ offered this paralytic. He said, I will heal you, but first let me do this. I am going to forgive your sins. So at the end of the day, our, our biggest problem is not our physical bodies. It's not our financial issues. It's not our broken relationships. At the end of the day, our biggest need, our biggest problem is that we're alienated from God. It's that we're under the wrath of God, and we need to be saved from that. And Christ alone offers forgiveness and um, this brings us to our, our, our next point. And before I go on to the next point, let me just say this. Um, there, there is a day coming uh, when all things will be restored, when our, our, when our bodies will be healed and sadness and worry and pain. Um, we live with those, but as Christians, we look to this coming day when all things will be right. And in the meantime, we look to Christ as the one that has forgiven us and at the, end of this, at the end of this message, I'm going to just put a cap on it And as we see the kingdom of God being revealed in this. So the next point, the authority of Jesus. So as we've, as we've been together the past, I guess the past couple of years um, before IGC came about, we started to learn to think biblically. So if we look at this story, um, who's, the, who's the main character or what is this story all about? Is it the paralytic? No. The, the story is about Jesus, ultimately. And when I say we think biblically, when we think correctly about how things work in the Bible, 
we, we remember that all of the Bible is about Jesus. All, every story points to Christ. So this story points to Christ and who he is. So um, the, the guys, the, ten, the real tension in this story is not the fact that we have this paralytic. It's not the fact that, the, that uh, Jesus is meeting this paralytic. Um, that is relatively tension-free. And what makes a good story a good story is tension, right? Something needs to be, um, heads need to be butted up against. And the, the people that are butting heads with Jesus are these religious guys, the scribes. They, they say, they, when they saw that Jesus forgave their sins, forgave the paralytic sins, they were outraged. They said, who can heal, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, these religious people, they were threatened by what Jesus was doing. Not only did they not recognize that Jesus Christ was God, but they, they themselves, these religious leaders, they made their living from being religious, right? The, if you remember, uh, first century Judaism was centered around the temple. And people, if they wanted their sins forgiven, it had to be, it had to be administered through, through these religious leaders. And they said, only God alone can heal us. So what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is not being right. He's doing something offensive. Not only offensive, but he's being blasphemous by claiming to forgive this man's sins. So this, this ticked these guys off. And they said, who is this guy to say that he can forgive sins? So the issue here is an issue of authority. The authority of Jesus. Think, look at the term that Jesus uses here um, in, in, uh, in Mark. It says this. Uh, if you look at verse, verse, uh, I'm sorry, I, I got lost. But where he says he's a son of man. Verse 10, there. Thank you, Sean. Um, but that you may know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. Son of man. And this was, consider that Jesus called himself the son of man. He referred to himself as the son of man. And he gets it, and this is, foreshadowed in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. So remember again, all of the Bible talks about Jesus. So I'm going to turn to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, and I'm going to read this. Listen to this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this passage talks about a son of man that would rule over all things. And in Revelation, we see the total fulfillment of this title, Son of Man. When Jesus, who is the one that, that rules over the nations? It's Jesus, the Son of Man. So we see the Old Testament pointing to, okay, there's, there's something coming. There's a man coming who will rule with authority. In Mark 2, we see that there is this, Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. Um, what does that mean? It means that in Revelation, one day when this passing world is done, when we look on Jesus, we'll see him as the ultimate authority figure. So the crowd doesn't recognize the power behind Jesus' words when he says, rise. The scribes don't recognize him when he says, I forgive this man of his sins. So what does he do? He says, not only am I pronouncing forgiveness of this man's sins, 
I am going to forgive him. And beyond that, what does he do? He heals this paralytic. So he does something that's blasphemous to these scribes, and he does something that no one else could do. He healed a guy of paralysis. Even now with our modern medicine, we can't heal people of paralysis, right? If you fall off a horse, like, and if you're paralyzed, you're not going to be healed, uh, no matter how much, at this point, we just can't do it. But Jesus says, I'm going to heal this guy's soul, and I'm going to heal his body. So he says to this guy, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And this is what this guy did. And this points to, I think as we look at this story, we need to consider this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is divine. Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ has authority. Jesus Christ is God, and he has authority over our bodies. As our hairs are turning gray and eventually white, Jesus Christ has authority over every cell of our body, whether or not they're being destroyed, whether or not they're riddled with cancer. Jesus Christ has authority over our bodies. Jesus Christ has authority over our lives. Every good deed that we do, every sinful act that we commit, Jesus has authority over those things. Jesus has authority over our relationships. So whether our life is with other people is good or whether it's bad, whether it, we see a hopeful note to it or whether it, they're falling apart, whether we're dating or whether we're being stung by, by singleness and loneliness. Jesus has authority over our relationships. Jesus has authority over the world. Whether or not we have a bull market or a bear market, whether or not the oil well, the oil well will be capped, whether or not kings, good kings sit on thrones, or whether evil dictators rule lands. Jesus Christ has authority over those things because Jesus Christ is God. And as we see here in the story, Jesus Christ, he healed this guy. And this was completely unprecedented. Who can forgive a man and who can heal a man? The kingdom of God was inaugurated when Jesus came on the scene. And, it, and he says, there's, there's coming a day when the kingdom of God will be ultimate and it will be completely fulfilled. And there will be a day when not only will all our sins be forgiven, but all our bodies will be restored to the natural order. Things will be the way they were meant to be from the very beginning, which means that Christ will have authority and all of us will be able to worship Christ for who he is. There will be no injustice or sickness or sorrow. And this radical healing of the paralytic, um, the, the forgiveness of his sins and his total physical healing was a sign, was a sign that the kingdom of God has come near. So when we read the story, think of this, that the kingdom of God is being, is, it's being acted out, it's being played out. Jesus is the king and he's exercising his authority over this man's sins and over his body. And for us, Jesus is exercising his authority over IGC. He's exercising his authority over our workplaces and our homes and our lives, no matter how bad things seem. There's coming a day when things will be restored and Jesus will exercise his full authority. Every evildoer will be punished and every forgiven child of God will be healed. And we will not know loneliness. We will not know pain. We will know perfection and ultimate joy. And uh, as we close up, I want us to look at one more thing um, 
in, in this passage, and you have three points there. You have the, the faith for healing. You have the, the, uh, the need for forgiveness. You have the authority of Jesus. I want to add one more point to this, and if you want to write it in, it's this. Now, the fourth point is this, a new identity, a new identity. If we look at, if we look at this passage, um, if we look at, if we don't look for this, we might miss it. But then, what does Jesus refer to the paralytic as, as he forgives him? He refers to him as a son, as a son. And the Greek word for this is technon. It's a term, it's, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of affection. And what, what Jesus was implying was that this man had a father by calling him a son. Right? If you're a son, there has to be a father figure. And he was giving this guy a new identity. He, had a, he was not just a paralytic. He was not just a number. But he had an identity because his relationship was restored with the Father. As Jesus forgave this man's sins, he was able to have right relationship with God. And we read earlier from Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8 again. Um, you can listen in. I'm reading from Romans eight fourteen through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit are God, of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When the people in the crowd saw the paralytic being lowered down, immediately they thought sinner. And some of them might even have whispered to their neighbor, sinner. But what did Jesus call this guy? He didn't call him a sinner. He called him a son. Christ forgave this man of his sins so that he would be a son. And the purpose of forgiveness is not for forgiveness sake. It's not to wipe the slate clean so that we can try again. The purpose of forgiveness is that our relationship with God would be for restored. This is, who cares about forgiveness if it doesn't lead anywhere? Who cares about forgiveness if, is, if, if all it means is that we don't go to hell? Who cares about forgiveness? And I hope we're thinking like this. Who cares about forgiveness if it doesn't mean anything, if it doesn't mean that we don't get to spend the rest of our lives with Christ. The purpose of the forgiveness of our sins is not that so we would escape hell. And we need to remember this because we forget this so often. The purpose of forgiveness is so that we would have right relationship with God and one day we will be able to worship Christ forever. And we ourselves are forgiven. If we're Christians, we're forgiven and we get to enjoy this fatherhood of God and this is a point of the story. It's not that this man was healed. It was not that merely that his sins were forgiven, but a relationship was restored. And as, as, as we close, I want us to think about this song that we're going to sing. You alone can rescue. You alone can heal. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope for forgiveness and healing and right relationship with the Father. And... Uh, just as, as, as we sing that, keep that in mind as our bodies are wasting away, as our family members are dying, as our stock full portfolio is dropping, as we're not sure where our next paycheck is going to be or how we're going to pay the bills, 
as our relationships are crumbling, remember that Christ has power. He has authority to heal and to forgive. Will you pray with me? God, we, uh, we just trust uh, that we are in need of your healing, in need of your forgiveness, God. And we confess that um, we can't fix things on our own, that we can't muster up some sort of courage or faith or the resources to fix things ourselves. But I pray that you would help our unbelief and help us trust you to heal, to forgive, God. We pray this, we ask this with desperation in Jesus' name. Amen.